You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. So check this out. In 2001, researchers at Emory University found that by using magnetic resonance imaging to measure brain activity in response to pleasurable stimuli found in the nucleus accumbens, all of us know, uh, the region of the brain's pleasure center, responded much more strongly when the event was unanticipated rather than anticipated. Layman's terms. Researchers have found that our brains actually really do love being surprised. How many of you, quick show of hands, let's just do a quick show of hands. How many of you uh, would say you generally, you like surprises? You enjoy them, they're fun, right? There's like half of you that are doing like this sort of number, like, (laughs) pastor, like, hold on real quick, like, what kind of surprise are we talking about? Depends. Now, I'm gonna go on record. I'm going to go on record this evening and say, generally, I actually don't like them. I don't like surprises. I like predictability. I like stability. I like sameness. And I don't know when that happened. I was thinking about it for the last couple of weeks. I don't know when it happened because I, growing up, I loved surprises, especially as a kid. As a kid, there ain't nothing better than being surprised. I think there's like something sort of inherent to childhood that sort of is conducive to that. We actually had to celebrate Christmas a little bit early, uh, and so we uh, exchanged gifts with friends and family uh, a couple of days ago. This is the look on my children's face when we told them that they were going to Disney on ice. We're going right now. Yeah. (gasps) My son has like sort of like a Ricky Bobby situation. I don't know what to do. I I don't know what to do with my hands. He's sort of like stuck, doesn't know what to go on there. But he had his moment of glory. He had his moment of glory because uh, uh, my son is actually a huge Zelda fan. And so the very next day, we surprised him with his very own shield, his very own sword. So we got to see this face the next morning. Quickly uh, followed up by tears because we took it away because he was smacking his sister with it. But I digress. Every parent here knows, every parent here knows that there really ain't nothing better. Ain't nothing better than the look on a kid's face when they find out that you always knew that they never knew that you always knew the gift they always wanted. Amen? Uh, The way I see it is that most parents, uh, so the way I see it is every Christmas, I kind of have, it's a competition with myself. I'm going for the strongest possible reaction out of my children uh, due to the gifts that I bring them. And really, it's four basic categories. So tomorrow morning, this is what you're going to be looking at. So uh, when uh, you give your gifts to your kiddos, starting on the far left, this is explicit disappointment. (laughs) Whenever you give them underwear, uh, socks, those types of things, you're going to get this face. Next one, I like to call that sympathy smile. (laughs) Sympathy smile. This is when you get them a gift you thought was cool. They don't want to hurt your feelings. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. Then there's general excitement. That's level three. And then, parents, what you're going for tomorrow is level four, which is outright shrieking. Okay? This is the goal. This is what we're going tomorrow, right? Kids love surprises. We love it. That's what we're looking forward to the most tomorrow. And yet, adults 
a lot of us, somewhere along the way, we stopped liking them or we, we, we stopped making room in our lives for them, right? Maybe it's because the older you get, the more you realize that not all surprises are good surprises. Surprise, you lost your job. Surprise, we're breaking up. Surprise, uh, you uh, are unable to get pregnant. Surprise, uh, you are going to be hit by a global-wide pandemic that's going to be still in existence after 20-something months. And, oh yeah, surprise, you thought things were going back to normal. Variant. <laughs> and often what happens, I think, for adults is uh, the more... Uh, experience we have with negative surprises, painful surprises, bad surprises, the more tempted we are to sort of reverse course and just simply orient our lives in such a way where we're never surprised ever again. We just try to live as predictable as possible. Now, for the record, some of this takes form in super, super silly ways, right? So, for example, you decide that every time you go to Chili's, you're going to order the same exact thing off the menu. I don't care what specials they have. You're going to be someone who wears the same fashion trends for 15 years in a row. My father still believes that turtlenecks are coming back. I'm sorry, father. They're not. But you're there. They're comfortable. This is it. This is my zone. This is my lane. I'm staying right here. You go to the same grocery store. You order the same groceries. Literally, this happens to me all the time. So we're online shoppers right now. That was one of the blessings of COVID. We were just like, man, this is super convenient. I don't have to wander around anymore. And uh, the other day, true story, we were ordering for Target, and I ordered some Greek yogurt, and then the little thing pops up, and it goes, um, but you normally order a different brand. <laughs> and it got to me. I had like an existential crisis. I was like, you're right. Why risk it? Cancel. Order that one. It also takes form, though, in, in bigger ways. Bigger ways. We... Uh, stay in relationships way too long because they're comfortable. We stay at the same job for way too long because we're miserable, but it's predictable. We choose churches, schools, jobs, neighborhoods, not based off of maybe you know, where the life is, but where we can predict with certainty who those people are, what opinions they hold, and what type of life we will get Many of us, almost by accident, we sort of organized our lives in such a way to make it as predictable as possible. And now, disclaimer, some of you are going to leave tonight and you have uh, no intention of being more of a risk taker. Like you're just like, nope, I don't really, I'm sorry, I don't really care. And to you, I just want to say, that's fine. Like generally speaking, it's okay to live a super predictable life. Like there's nothing wrong per se or morally wrong about living a really predictable, really uh, sort of just consistent sort of existence. It may not be as exciting as uh, another one, but there's nothing morally wrong with it. Except when it comes to the spiritual realm of our lives. The longer I follow this Jesus, the more I realize that I can live a predictable life, one that is completely devoid of surprises in other spheres, but I can't do it in faith. I can't do it in my faith life. Why, you ask? Uh, because of Christmas. 
because of this very holiday, this very event, this very service that we're celebrating here tonight. Friends, Christmas is a whole bunch of things. If you spent any time in church before, you've heard a whole number of sermons on Christmas. You know the meaning of it. You know the significance of it. But sort of at the core, what Christmas is, is it's a reminder that if you ascribe to the Christian story, you are following a really surprising God. A God who over and over and over again acts in not predictable, very unexpected ways. Case in point, how he comes into this world. God could have done whatever God wanted to do, but God chose to be born a human being, a helpless, vulnerable baby. That makes no sense. The couple God choose to birth said baby into the world is a young, teenage, poor, non-influential couple from Nazareth. Y'all ain't biblical historians, and so that's, this is fine if you don't know anything about Nazareth, so I'll just sort of bring it to modern-day terms. One person in the Bible one time said this. They said, Jesus came from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. So modern-day terms, that would be like someone coming along and saying, someone came from Chapel Hill? I didn't, was there, Jesus. He comes in the middle of the night to a really non-influential, non-important couple in the middle of nowhere in a cave barn-like situation. Most likely uh, was not smelling like gingerbread and uh, all of the wonderful aspen furs, but uh, manure. And this is the God you worship. That's the God that you follow. That's the God you're here to celebrate here tonight. The only reason why this story is not surprising to you is because you've heard it so many times before. But every person who was a member of the original cast of this story didn't see a bit, a lick of this coming. And so one of the core practical messages of Christmas is you want to, like, I don't know about other religions, but if you want to sign up to be a follower of Jesus, you're interested in that Jesus life, you're going to have to be open to surprises. You're going to have to be like Mary, like Joseph, like the shepherds who are wandering out in the fields, who are open to God, moving in new ways, doing new things God has never done before. Because if you're not You'll end up like the Roman emperors, the innkeeper, Joseph's family there in Bethlehem, the ancestors who didn't give him any place to crash while they were there. You'll miss it. And friends, again, I'm a preacher, so I've read this story countless times, but something happened to me this year when I read it. Something Something changed in me this time when I read it anew. It was this overwhelming sense that, man, I don't want to be like the former characters in the story. I don't want to miss it. Jesus, I know my life, I live it in a really predictable way. I live it in a really consistent way, shut off from surprises. But I don't want to miss you. Because, friends, here's the deal. You can't selectively shut off surprises, right? So if you're like, I don't want any sort of surprises in my life, so I'm just going to shut them down. You shut out the good ones and the bad ones. 
You can't do one or the other. You shut it all out. And so this Christmas, you can do what you want. Y'all can do what you want. But what, is, I'm, what I feel compelled, inspired to do is shift, shift course, pivot course, and reopen myself anew and afresh to surprising, maybe uncomfortable, maybe unforeseen things from Jesus that maybe I've been desperately hungry and longing for, but I've not had enough courage, I've not had enough guts to step out and receive it. And if you're like me, and you're like, well, I don't, like, I don't even know, that sounds okay, but like, I don't even know where to start. How do you even do that? How do you re-crack open yourself to a new, fresh way for God to move in your life? This is at least what I see. When I look at this story, I see three lessons, three takeaways for how to do this in our own lives. The first of which is this. The first way in which, at least for me, this next year, I want to reopen myself to surprises and unforeseen movements and teaching and revelation from God is, number one, I have to actively remind myself that I ain't got to figure it all out. I'm going to have to actively remind and re-remind myself that I don't have it all figured out. One of the biggest reasons why we're shut off to surprises is because we feel like, eh, I got it figured out. I know everything about this person, this relationship. I know everything about all this, this political stuff going on in the world. I know all the epidemiological stuff going on. I got it all figured out. Like, I'm good. I'm good. And culture sort of reinforces this. The culture we live in sort of uh, reinforces uh, this sort of assumption that we got it all figured out, that we got it all sort of mastered. Check this out. Uh, a stat found this way. So researchers found that in 19, up until 1900, up until 1900, it was believed that human knowledge, so our knowledge of our existence and the world and science and all those things, it was believed that it took human beings, up until 1900, it took 100 years to double the amount that we understood, okay? So up until 1900, it took a century for us to go, okay, we now know twice as much as we knew back in 1800. But then things started speeding up. By the time we reached 1945, our species uh, as human beings, our ability to know things doubled every 25 years. You see where this is going. Anyone want to guess what it is now? Ain't that fast. Close, though. Nowadays, our knowledge doubles every 12 hours. And I got to be honest, there's a big part of me that wonders and believes that human beings were not supposed to know that much about that many things. In many ways, and you know this, you'll go on your social media feed, you'll see on the news, you'll encounter this with friends and family members probably tomorrow as you're arguing over the dinner table, that we as human beings, there's a bunch of human beings walking around with the knowledge of God without the wisdom of God. You know what I mean by that? Our brains are getting bigger while our hearts are getting harder. What the world desperately needs, what Christmas calls you to, what it invites you to, is just a humble ad admission. I, I don't got it all figured out, so I'm gonna make room. I'm gonna make room for the possibility that someone can teach me or show me something I don't already know. 
What else? Lesson number two, the other thing that you see in Mary, you see in Joseph, you see in these innkeepers, you see in their very life, they embody this for us, they demonstrate this for us. They say, you want to reopen your life to surprises, to being surprised by God? Lesson number two, you also need to admit, you got to be honest, if you find yourself in predictable patterns that don't work anymore. As human beings, we are patterned people. We build patterns all the time. You have habits and patterns with your fitness, with your relationships, with your job, with your kids, and with your faith. And some of those patterns work. Some of those rhythms, they work. But some of them don't. And if you're willing to be honest with yourself, they haven't been working for a real long time. Vanity Fair, which is not a normal place I go for my uh, polling, but uh, they had a really, really fascinating poll. So they polled a bunch of folks uh, who, which is, this is probably, <laughs> I wasn't going to say this, but um, this is probably the crowd that they uh, probably do attract the most. So it's like a bunch of people who made a lot of really bad decisions. And so they said, okay, all of you who made a really, really, like made a lot of bad decisions, you had a lot of bad habits. How did you change? Like, how did you break free from that? And this is staggering. Of the people who reported back, this is a bunch of folks, 70%, 7 in 10 folks said what was required for them to break free from an unhealthy habit or an unhealthy pattern in their life was either A, a near-death experience, or B, an ultimatum from a loved one. Why? And that's no judgment, because I've done it too. Why do we wait so long to be honest about the parts of our lives, the areas of our lives that just ain't working? Some of you showed up here tonight, and maybe that's relationships for you, or maybe that's like the work-life balance for you. Like you had a really good work-life balance a couple of years ago, and now what you're doing is not sustainable, but you're not being honest about it, and you're burning yourself out, and you're driving your family crazy. Or maybe for you, uh, it's... It's your faith. You've, uh, a couple years ago, you had really good disciplines. You had really good sort of exercises that were keeping you connected to God, and you felt really good. You felt very grounded. But now, when you find yourself returning to those same practices and same disciplines, they don't have the same power and sustenance as they used to have a couple of years ago. And friends, you know why that is? It's because patterns by nature have an expiration date. Patterns, habits, rituals, rhythms in your life whether we're talking fitness, relationships, faith, work, you name it, they have an expiration date. They were supposed to bring you on one leg of the journey, but now you need completely different tools for this next leg of the journey. And so again, part of what's, I think, required of Christmas to celebrate Christmas well is to sort of be honest about the things that are keeping you from accessing the abundant life that God wants to give to you. Oh, what else? Any more? I'm glad you asked. There is one more. Uh, if you go back to the story, there's one more. One more. There's one more thing that I think the characters of Christmas demonstrate for us that will be imperative if we want to have any shot of having a life that is open to God, to being surprised by God. And it's being, third, third and finally, it's, uh, being willing to tell yourself and reminding yourself over and over and over and over and over again that the discomfort that comes with change, the discomfort that comes with challenge, the discomfort that comes with the surprise, it's worth it. 
It's reminding yourself every leg of the journey, this discomfort is worth it. It's terrifying. I feel like I'm stepping into a land. I'm stepping into a, a future. I have no idea what to expect. It's repeatedly telling yourself the discomfort is worth it. We skip over uh, these details in the Christmas story all the time. We skip over these details in the Christmas story all the time. Uh, how uncomfortable this had to have been for Mary and Joseph in the cast of characters in this story. For example, did you know? So you heard sort of like the summary, the Reader's Digest version a couple of moments ago, uh, that uh, when there was a census to be taken, Mary and Joseph, who were hanging out in Nazareth, had to go down to Bethlehem. Did you know that uh, while that journey uh, all, from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, it wouldn't take you very long in a car by foot, it takes you at least five days. Mary is nine months pregnant. There's mountains and deserts and all kinds of wildlife and things like that. It's hilarious to me that every sort of like Christmas nativity silhouette uh, looks like this. That this is what it was like for Mary and Joseph. Hi, honey. How you doing back there? Good, sweetheart. You okay back there? Is it okay? Air, air okay? Temperature okay? I can't control it because we're not in the car, but you know. Yeah, it's good. Your back of your head looks pretty. Good. Every married couple in this room knows that if a nine-month pregnant woman is in a four-day foot journey through mountainous terrain, the nativity situation didn't look like this. It looked like this. Why is this taking so long, Joseph? I don't know, Mary. Furthermore, furthermore, one of the other uncomfortable parts of this story that we just sort of gloss over is the fact that uh, not only did the innkeeper not give them a space to stay when they reached Bethlehem, but friends, this was Joseph's hometown. This was where Joseph's family and ancestors lived. So what that means is most likely Joseph went to his family first looking for a place to crash, looking for a place to stay. And the fact that he couldn't find one means that they were experiencing the discomfort of shame, of family members going, oh, yeah, you and your uh, virgin pregnant wife, okay, yeah, you are dead to us. Get out of here. Sometimes I wonder if it wasn't until years later, years later, when Mary and Joseph were just sitting there, they were watching it watching Jesus as a grown man do miracles, preach amazing things and revelations about who God is and what God's like. I wonder if it wasn't years until they were finally able to look at each other and go, dang, it was worth it. All the pain, all the rejection, all the fatigue, all the misunderstanding, it was worth it. Friends, the only people who get to say that are the people for whom, when it is uncomfortable, keep going. When the future is unknown, the surprise, the surprising path you find yourself on, you can't predict, you have no idea where it leads. The only people who get to say it's worth it are the people who keep going. If you don't believe, central to the Christian story 
it's almost like everything revolves around this theme. What we preach at every single Christian church across the world is that you don't get to resurrection unless you're willing to go through death. So what are the things? I got a list for my own life. What are the things for you that you got to make some space for, that you got to be willing to be uncomfortable with? want any shot of encountering the surprising hope and life of God. I'll close here. As a Christmas gift from me to you, Merry Christmas. Thanks, Kyle. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to practice it. Okay? I'm going to give you something that's going to force you right into the uncomfortable place. Tonight, how we're going to wrap up our worship service uh, is we are going to communally, online and in person, we're going to communally receive a gift from God that we can't earn and we can't pay back. Uh, selfishly, personally, full transparency, I hate that. Uh, if I probably go to a party and someone buys me a gift, anyone ever done a toilet purchase before? Anyone knows what that is? That's when someone buys you a gift, you run to the bathroom, you get on Amazon, you order something real quick so that they know you got a present, and you walk out and you go, it's coming in two days! Shipping was delayed, um, but I definitely didn't forget to get you a present. You were 100% not on my list. I think we as human beings hate it because we like equilibrium. We like fair. But friends, the whole reason why we're here tonight, the whole message of Christmas is that is the unfair message. It's the unfair reality that God loves you so much more than you'll ever have the ability to repay. More than you'll ever have the ability to earn. And some of you, this is your first time in church this year, your first time engaging something faith or spirituality related in a long time, and you're kind of sitting there thinking like, he's probably talking to other people, he ain't talking to me. He's talk, I'm talking especially to you. You see, friends, one of the reasons why I'm a Christian, the whole reason why I gave my life to this thing is because Jesus was the first person that I met who shocked me, surprised me by his willingness to remain committed and loving towards me even after all of the crap that I've done. The reason why I'm a Christian today is because Jesus is the one who repeatedly shows up in my life when other people would have been like, hmm. I don't know if I want to remain friends with him. Jesus is the one who repeatedly shows up and says, there is literally nothing you can do. And the whole reason that what we're doing here in Christmas is Jesus said, and I'm going to tell you this face to face. It's almost like he wanted to say humanity once and for all. Dude, there ain't nothing you can do. Ain't nothing. Ain't, you can't run fast enough. You can't have enough doubts or enough questions. You can't be complacent enough to make me fall out of love with you. My love's that strong. That it'll survive, even death, for you. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.